Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is sponsored by Happy Fox Health, a natural supplement brand focused on CMOS, a marine algae that has 92 out of 102 essential nutrients that your body needs to thrive and regenerate. I've used a number of their products and found it's really given me clarity of mind. Visit happyfoxhealth.com and use promo code THECRAFT for an exclusive 15-20% to 20% discount off your first product purchase. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. I loved this conversation. Our second The Craft Live podcast recording, in partnership with Herschel Supply, drops today. This time with Jamie and Lyndon Cormack, the brother co-founders of Herschel Supply Company. In 1906, their great-grandparents were living in Scotland and were enticed through a homestead program to move across the Atlantic Ocean to Canada. They landed on the East Coast and made their way across the country, settling on property just outside the little hamlet of Herschel, Saskatchewan. It was here where their father grew up and married his high school sweetheart, Lyndon and Jamie's mother. They grew up mainly in Calgary, Alberta, but spent time running free outdoors in Herschel during visits to their grandparents. Here, even as kids, they felt no borders or boundaries. Team sports and being active, skateboarding and snowboarding, were major parts of their upbringing. So it was no surprise they found themselves in sales within the action sports industry as adults. Jamie at KT Sports and Lyndon at Vans. From a young age, both were passionate about design, art, music, and culture, something that has only grown stronger since then. In 2009, they identified a gap in the market for stylish, functional, design-forward bags and founded Herschel Supply. And then, in 2011, they left their full-time jobs to focus solely on building their company, now a widely known, successful brand across the world. In this conversation, we explore where they grew up and what they were like as kids, things they learned about being better leaders and business minds from their CEO, John Haroff, the importance of curiosity, passion, and asking yourself why not, staying relevant and progressive in a fast-moving world and breaking your own rules, if curation is innate or something that can be learned, questioning the status quo, how they teach their kids to navigate the world and their futures, what they'd say to their team throughout the years and to the team today, working with family and what they mean to one another, and much more. I learned a ton during this exchange, not only about Jamie and Lyndon as business leaders and founders, but as people too. And as they each said separately during our conversation, ask yourself, wouldn't it be cool if, and mostly, dream big? Please enjoy this engaging and open conversation with these two great humans. Welcome to tonight. 
Uh, I'm Mae Globus. I'm your host for tonight. I am the host of a podcast called The Craft. It's amazing to see you all. What a, what a full house. So thank you for coming out and choosing to spend your time with us tonight. Um, before getting into things, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations on which this event is taking place. Uh, a couple of housekeeping items. There might be some time for questions after this chat, seeing how we'll see how long it goes. Uh, another thing is please refrain from using the washrooms. The, the hand dryer in there is apparently quite loud, and we're videotaping tonight, so uh, we'd like to keep that on the, on the down low. Um, and then after this talk is over, please stay, enjoy the music and the drinks, and enjoy each other's company. Thank you to Herschel and the Herschel team for having us back, having the craft back into their stores. This is our second live podcast. So thank you so much for trusting us to be in here and interviewing these two today. Um, we officially launched season three yesterday. So thank you everyone for your support and your listens and we'll continue to go on. Um, for those who don't know anything about the craft, it's a podcast that I launched at the end of January, 2021. And uh, it's a collection of deep and intimate conversations with really talented creatives and entrepreneurs and trailblazers and more here in Vancouver and in other major cities. So I'm really honored that the Herschel founders, Jamie and Lyndon, are here tonight, that they said yes to me to sitting down and having this conversation. Uh, they started the brand in 2009 after identifying a gap in the marketplace for stylish, functional, and design-driven bags. Jamie has a passion for the outdoors and travel, and these are the inspirations for his works. He credits his successful entrepreneurial endeavors to his years of experience in sales and brand marketing and design perspectives from around the world. Uh, Lyndon's love for design spills into his daily life. Whether it's interior design or architecture, fashion design, these are his passionate hobbies when he's not backcountry snowboarding or out on the ocean surfing. Jamie and Lyndon, welcome to the craft. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming. Yes, thanks such an honor. I feel like you, you uh, and I, well, the three of us, we have a lot of mutual friends and connections, so this feels very special. How are you guys feeling? Feeling great, and uh, this is our first ever Herschel store we ever built, so it's nice to be home. Uh, and so you're wel welcome to our home, and welcome to Thanks. a place where you get to experience Herschel and, and it's all of its elements, which is a really fun place to be. Awesome. Well, I'd like to take it way, way back. Let's go to the town of Herschel, which is in Saskatchewan. And this is where your great-grandparents settled from Scotland. You want to start that one? Now, this will be the common thing all the time. Like, you want to take this one? Or <laughs> you want We're not twins, so we can't speak for each other. We do actually have different opinions. Um, is everybody getting this reverb, or are we OK? Is the sound? You are? Yeah. Me too. Um, so, well, we have Garrett uh, here is our sound technician here, so if you could <laughs> try to fix to figure that out. Uh, we, um, back in 1906, our great-grandparents were living in Wick, Scotland, and uh, they were enticed through the homestead program to, to pick up their, their life and their family and sail across the Atlantic for a slice uh, and a piece of Canada. So that was in 1906. They, they landed on the East Coast. They trekked across the country and uh, claimed their land of 160 acres of land just outside the little hamlet of Herschel. So um, our grandparents grew up in the town. Uh, our father was born um, among our aunts and uncles into the town. And uh, 
our, our dad married his high school sweetheart, who happens to be our mom, and uh, went off to university. Uh, he became a professional engineer, and uh, our mom became a school teacher. Uh, and we uh, grew up mainly in, in Calgary. And maybe I'll pass the mic to Jamie and talk about uh, the difference between, you know, we, us growing up in Calgary and our, and our parents, obviously. Yeah, I think the whole thing with us growing up in Calgary was that you lived in a city, and with the city comes some rules and some regulations. And whenever we traveled back to Herschel, Herschel was a place you could do anything. And there was no borders. There was no boundaries. It was free. You came home when you were hungry. You got to just go be kids. And we felt that our whole lives. And when we uh, talked about the idea of really starting a brand and looking back, we wanted to pay homage to our family, but also was that place that just felt like when we traveled there, there was no borders, no boundaries, and it was freedom, and you could take it and really go anywhere. And uh, that's where the name, we bounced around with lots, but we just kept coming back there. It felt right. And uh, it. Uh, I'm really glad we picked it because that uh, – it, it, it's a great story, and I think every brand needs to start with a great story. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that one means a lot to both of us. Yeah, yeah. And you guys were spending a lot of time outdoors as kids. I mean, all, yeah, all the time, pretty well outdoors. I, I mean, it, we're, we're, three, we're from a family of three boys, so I'm sure that was like a, a mandatory thing from our parents to say, get, get outside, you know, and go blow off some steam out there. But, yeah, we were active, always involved heavily in sports, and... Uh, whether that be team sports or individual sports, uh, we were always out there doing stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, yeah, it wasn't really a big push for us to get outside. It's sort of, I think, where we belonged. Yeah. And what were you like as kids, each of you individually? How would you describe yourselves as kids and, grow and maybe even teens? I'm biting my tongue on this one. But, <laughs> um, no, as, uh, oh God, as individuals and teens. I mean, Linda and I have been best friends and brothers, so it's pretty, pretty fun to get to share all your interests with your your younger brother um, and always have those common interests because you always have someone to do something with and someone there to push you and I think that's the biggest thing you find that in friends but when you find that in a brother your entire life that it's pretty easy when you share that uh, just the same likes and it constantly I think I think it pushed us which you know not that our older brother isn't the same but we probably didn't share as much in common especially into our teen years um, and I think that's why it just it made sense for us. We kind of always ended up in the same place. Even mm -hmm. if we weren't on the same path, it always ended up steering that way. So, Yeah, I think having those similarities, um, yeah, were helpful. I mean, again, the pushing each other was great. Uh, we were competitive, um, competitive against each other, but competitive as just humans and wanting to, again, participate in sports and get out there and snowboard or mountain bike or run or play hockey. Uh, we some of those things we still do together today. We play in the, one of the same hockey teams as well. But uh, yeah, I think uh, we were. Uh, our parents made sure that we had what we needed to for things we took seriously as well. So if we were into bike racing and we took it seriously, they'd support us in that. And and uh, the same thing in running or snowboarding. We had what we needed to to do the sports if we were willing to take the thing seriously, not just, I guess, try and, we always tried stuff too, but mm -hmm. when we got serious about stuff, it, uh, there was a lot of support there from a family as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, and you know, having had several conversations with you guys and knowing that uh, design and art are really big parts of your personality, where do you think that comes from? If I had to say it's travel, um, I mean, it was, I think, we were probably always interested in design just because we always questioned it, I think, even as kids. And maybe that comes from growing up, watching 
I mean, I'll go right to the back, like early days of snowboarding or biking. You're always working with sports and skateboarding, and it's how you, I think, just build equipment. And maybe we were in the early days of things, and we we cared about how things work. I mean, for me, I, I like that. I have an engineering mind where I want it all to work. And um, I think the design side for me came probably from some graphics and you know apparel and, and just seeing industries. And for me, that was my gateway into kind of reading and researching about art and watching videos and then music comes from that and the culture. I mean, it's almost like we lived in, we earned it and that's, when you're in that, you're going to shows and you're doing different things, and it just felt like um, art and design are all part of that culture, and we we lived it. it uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's I think on that to riff off of that. I mean, it's organic when you're involved in like early days of snowboarding, early days of skateboarding, and and as even even I, we probably don't give it as much credit, but early days of biking, right? It's like you get to see friends starting silkscreen T-shirt brands. You get to see brands that you're like. You get to see people blow your minds in front of you with their creativity and and their ideas that they're bringing to life, and uh, you know, bearing witness to that in the early days where the the maybe the boundaries or the obstacles weren't as big as some people maybe you know have today. Potentially, I don't think the obstacles are that big, but the uh, the realities we saw people doing it, and uh, and I think that uh, from a maybe way back standpoint, I mean. Our mom always really cared about decorating. Uh, you know, she loved a nicely decorated home. It was a country home. Uh, and I, I think that even some of our eclecticness comes from we sort of grew up in like a country style decorated home. Um, but we were probably having that like beautiful, healthy tension where we were probably craving modern, but you're living in the country and it has this like eclecticness that's. Uh, that I think that we both share and enjoy about how you mix and match things together. And again, our, our, uh, our we always say our, our favorite kind of music is the perfect mixtape. And I think that's going to have hip hop and jazz and trip hop and classic rock or whatever it happens to have. And it's, uh, I think it's just how you mix things together is, is you know, something that I think we both have, have grown up doing just mm -hmm. maybe organically. Well, I do. I'm going to put a pin in a question that I have around curation. I know it's something that we, we talked about, but I'll ask that later. Um, but I'd love to examine um, how you guys got to be doing what you were doing before you started Herschel. So I know that you bo guys both have a lot of experience in sales. You were in, at Vans for a really long time, and you had TK Sports. Um, maybe you can each tell me how that journey came to be, that you were doing what you were doing prior to Herschel. Who's going first? You call it. Okay, I'm going. Uh, yeah, so tr pretty traditional route, actually, and, uh, you know, started as an athlete and participation in sport, uh, then eventually getting jobs in the shops that sell snowboards, skateboards, uh, mountain bikes, moving from that, really, you know, loving, loving the industry, as Jamie said earlier, questioning a lot, like, oh, why does this work like that, or how does this process work, or what's margin, like, all these things that you just figure out you know, learning as you as you go, and, and then you transition to, you know, sometimes buyers are helping buy, and then uh, we, I, we both uh, became sales reps for different brands, and sort of worked the magic through those lanes, and we're selling amazing products uh, and amazing brands to to stores, and ultimately, uh, my longest tenure was at Vans, and where I spent uh, ten years with Vans through some really fun times. Uh, Vans was not the brand it is today 
when I started with bands. I mean, classics were just becoming a thing again. Um, again, I'll bu butcher the numbers, but when I started with back at Vans, we probably had, you know, 15 classics in the range. And when I finished, we probably had 1,000 classics in the range. That's not me. And we're back, I think. <laughs> Thanks, G. That was just all the positive energy exactly. that's in the crowd. <laughs> See, I thank, was going the opposite way on that. I was actually more of a Lyndon great part past the mic. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Just, I, uh, I didn't, no one told me there was a cue of yeah, uh, reverb, loud reverb to shut up. But, uh, <laughs> but someone can just wave at me next time. It'll be more enjoyable for the audience. Uh, so anyways, I worked for Vans. Uh, we went, we, and it was an incredible journey and the business, which I was a very small part of its success, but still felt like I was a part of its success. And, uh, and uh, it became an incredible uh, journey. I learned so bloody much and about the crossover of how a skate brand becomes intertwined in fashion and how a lifestyle brand becomes who they are. And it was, it was a, a really awesome experience and what I'm, I'm very grateful to have had. Hmm. Yeah, my, my route um, was pretty similar, we'll say. I started working at a skateboard shop and dabbling in a little bit of art in school, um, more on the graphic side of things. From there, um, moved into a manager position, a buyer position, and from that, going way back, I probably had that entrepreneurial spirit, but I started a small little magazine called Sequence. It was a little snowboard and skateboard magazine. Ran it for... Um, I guess probably four years, and until uh, I had enough learnings from that to realize you just can't do it all um, by yourself, and um, exited from that, and really, um, that was a gateway into, as Lyndon said, getting to meet a lot of people from a manager. You start buying, you start traveling, you get to meet a, Lyndon was already a sales agent, and um, and a rep, and so he had really paved the way and opened my eyes to what it was. So I got a job offer to go work with K2 Sports and manage uh, a whole bunch of brands under their umbrella. And basically, I put a two-year limit on that, which lasted 12 years. Um, <laughs> and I think the big thing and almost the curse of being a sales rep and the blessing is that you build a community. In that community, it's so easy to do work inside. You get to know everybody. Every city you go to, you have great friends. You get to have great dinners, great drinks, great activities, because you're working in an amazing industry. And it was just too fun to exit. And um, I was primarily working on a Calgary area, um, traveling you know, kind of internal in Canada, doing that business. And it was great. But my goal, um, I think for me, near the end of it, was just I had this creative part of my body that I wanted to do something different. And Lynn and I were constantly talking. And so could have been happy in that role my entire life, but it just I think we had to take a chance on something else. And so that's really what kind of exited. Otherwise, I think I'd still be in that position um, because it's a great life. And I mean, so many people around this room know exactly what I'm talking about because we've lived the same thing. And I think that's the best thing about those days is when Lyndon said similar path. When I used the word earlier about earning it, I think that's it. We really started at the bottom and you, you work your way up and you get to see every level of it. And I think that's when you have so much respect as a, as a, as a buyer or as a sales rep, right through to having an agency, right through to even starting a brand. You understand the system and you understand how it works. And uh, I think that is so crucial on um, I, well, 
I think why we're sitting here right now. But that's uh, I love I love those days. And two years it turned into twelve years. I wouldn't take it back for anything. So. Yeah, and I imagine that all of those relationships you created along the way were so instrumental into you know what you're doing now and and bringing all those people in and and still having them as part of your your community. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I'd love to. So in 2009, you guys had the idea for Herschel. You were still working your full time jobs, and then 2011 is when you guys left the jobs full time and started Herschel. And so I'd love to go down this path of brand and business. And um, they often say with personal growth that you know you can choose to stay the same or you can elevate. And if you take that philosophy um, from personal growth and you apply it to business, you often say this is the point where you need to scale. And I'm curious to know um, what are some of the bigger challenges that you guys have been facing in terms of strategizing this next phase of scaling for the brand? Uh, yeah, I think. Well, first of all, maybe a, a short re rewind. Uh, I think that one of the things that Jamie said earlier about being a sales rep is he talked about his territory. Uh, and the ter we all had these territories which we were allowed to sell in. And, and the coolest thing about starting a brand is that your territory becomes the world, right? And we really had that idea early on. We're going like, we're not, there's no boundaries to anything we can do. And uh, Jamie made fun of us. Uh, us and me potentially because I was involved a lot on the sales end of things of, of Herschel in the early days but he was like well you haven't put anything on the moon yet you know I mean it's like but it's even bigger like w what are the possibilities and uh, the uh, the coolest thing about where we're sitting now is that we've got a really solid foundation you know all the trouble that we have like when you first launch a brand is the first thing you hear from anybody is like what is this thing? Like, okay, tell me about it, or what is it? Like, they might like the aesthetic of what you're doing, but they don't know really anything else about it. And so I think the, the coolest thing is we have this really robust foundation. People know us. We, we can still introduce ourselves to more people, but we've got a really nice brand. People get our aesthetic. People get what we're into, and that's generally us, you know, circles around classics, classics with a modern twist. The, the, the reality is now, how do we, yeah, how do we continue to grow? Um, we made a decision probably 19, 20 months ago to bring on a CEO named John Haroff. Uh, John had previously worked uh, earlier in his career with the North Face for a good tenure and then ultimately ended up as the president of the local Vancouver brand, Arcteryx. I guess you could probably call it a global brand. Most people know Arcteryx. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So, and it was really uh, with, with working with John of, is you know, how do we avoid the potholes? How do we avoid the puddles of where this brand deserves to go to next? And uh, Jamie, I'll let you continue on with that. Adding on that one, I think the biggest thing today, I mean, obviously, no, we can't lie. The last thousand days has been the hardest thousand days in business ever because so much has changed from the people, the mindset, um, and it's just the world has changed. I mean, we've never lived through that. And so, um, Prior to that, I mean, we were, we've never taken a step back as a brand, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We've always had growth. We've always known growth over growth over growth. And the last, you know, truly three years has been one of those where the world shut down. This brand does the best when truly people are leaving their front door, when they're going back to school, when they're going to festivals, when they're traveling the globe. And all three of those things I just mentioned were all shut down. And so it's really hard for a brand that wants people to leave the front door when you're asked to stay home and, uh, and isolate. I mean, it was three years of 
really planning and, and, and for us internally, most companies I think just probably tried to survive where Linda mentioned we hired a new CEO, we made a lot of new hires inside and we really worked on the business and we haven't had that pause um, in 10 years of business until really COVID hit to, to, to look back and we wouldn't have taken it. And I think we readjusted some things to set us up with a better bench and a, and a better team than we've ever had. Um, we redesigned our entire range um, to be more sustainable and a positive impact on the globe, which is like a mandate for us going forward. And so we took a ton of time to there. But I think today is now how do we bring all that to market? How do we put all those, uh, you know, really people with the right amount of work, with the right priorities, you know, really do the best work they've ever done in their life. And it's probably the people I'd go back to to make sure we're being, you know, I think looking out for the people that work for us because we have such amazing, talented people and the best people we've ever had in-house today. But I think it's just setting them up for true success is probably the biggest one that we have to continue to go forward and grow. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious, what have, you, what have you learned from John um, in terms of how to be a better leader and how to be a better business mind? I thought you were going to ask me about hockey because he doesn't know a lot about <laughs> hockey. But um, <laughs> as a leader, um, two things. Uh, the biggest thing is to uh, share and save space for people. Um, when you're first starting a brand, I think you have to make some big, fast decisions. You have to move momentum. I'm stealing that line from Lyndon. But as you get it, a lot of people are hit with luck and hit with momentum every day. But to actually use that to your advantage and keep going, you've got to make fast decisions. And I think in the early days, when it's a smaller group, you just all react at the same time. And you probably, maybe you're bullish through some of those changes and decisions. But today, with a broader group and the group we have, I think it's just saving space. And that's probably the biggest thing you did. you got to just sit back and listen as much as you talk. And uh, that's, the, that's the, my biggest takeaway from him on that side. And uh, yeah, it's, it's probably the thing that's helping me the most as a leader. And you, Lyndon? I mean, yeah, focus, uh, the focus is really important. Uh, when, when you start a brand, especially the way we started it, brands start differently. Uh, there's, I would say that we always believed in co-creation, but co-creation was generally a couple of us of co-creating ideas. But how do you co-create with a larger, larger audience? And uh, I think that's been a really uh, great thing to witness, this really, how do you engage a broader group of people to, to get to the same goal? Right, and we know where our goal is, but there's different paths to get there. And I think uh, John's path path is different than ours, and uh, it's not violently different, but it's different. And I, I think that's really, uh, really important. He, uh, you know, the belief in purpose, values, vision, and how you make decisions based upon that is something that probably, again, as founders, you just have it in you. Like you just know when you're making the right decision. You know when you're acting appropriately. You know when you're getting out of your comfort zone. But really documenting that from not Jamie and Lyndon Supply Company, but Herschel Supply, and really putting some boundaries on that of how we make effective decisions that people understand the why for very, very easily. And I think that having that framework uh, is really important. And, and maybe to end on that uh, is, he reminds people to stay curious as well. And he says it often. Uh, it's one of those things, if he was writing a book, there'd be a, there would definitely be a chapter on curiosity and, and uh, reminding, we're always curious. I, I don't think you need to remind Jamie and I very often to be curious because we're, we're asking why about everything. But, uh, the, uh, but I think it's just reminding people that, that curiosity is fun and, and what you can do with it is, is even more fun when, you, when you're brainstorming up great ideas of how to, how to do things differently. 
Yeah, I, I very much agree on staying curious. I, I have a, a question in and around entrepreneurship. People in here in this room who are entrepreneurs or those who are wanting to take a leap of faith to become one. Um, do you think that if you work hard enough, if you hustle hard enough, you put in the time that you can be successful? Or are there um, deeper, sort of lesser talked about um, things about being an entrepreneur that should be more out in the open? You want to start? You want to take it? Whatever. You want to Rochambeau, Rochambeau on this one? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll kick it off. I mean, honestly, I think the three biggest things in any business is you need science, arts, and financing. I don't think Jamie's ever been asked this question, so basically I'm going to take notes in case I ever want to start something else because yeah, I like, need honestly, to know the formula. I, if you have the science, you have the art, and you have some financing, um, to me... It's, I think those are the three biggest takeaways. And when I say science, I mean business and finance. I think you need some money to start a great idea and truly fund it and support it and roll with that momentum because momentum also takes financing. And I think the art, the art's the fun part. And um, if I had to say one other thing, make sure the back of house is as industry leading as the front of the house. And so everything behind the curtain has to be as perfect as the front of the house. And may, maybe it isn't in the beginning, like, we always say we're a shit show in the beginning. We had a bad office. We met people in hotels. We did it right off the bat because we didn't, you know, we want to show up properly for everything. But it, it is one of those things. We wanted to start Herschel and be industry leading on the front end and the back end. And, and that starts with great leaders and allowing those leaders to hire below them and build or, orgs below them to suit their style so that they can succeed in what we're asking them to do. And I think that's, that's what we did as a business. But... Um, uh, I, I think last thing I'll say, and I know you're probably going to pass it on this one, but when you say we started the brand in 2009, it's really when we were out showing it and taking orders. Um, we delivered in 2010. We kept our jobs for a year and a half, even though our first trade show standing in New York, Lynn and I were looking at each other. And I think we knew that we had something pretty special just because the right accounts were coming in. We were getting great feedback. We'd also done a local trade show time, uh, uh, sorry, no show as well. Um, and... I mean, we just had great feedback, and we both were feeling pretty confident. But I think we, everyone uses that word side hustle. But for us, it was wasn't it was late night and early mornings. But it was that passion, and I think passion is the biggest thing. I don't care if people make money in life, but if they have a passion, you're gonna go to bed and get up happy. And because I think passion drives everybody, it's what drives me every day. And so um, you have to have a passion for it because there's lots of long days in there. So. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's um, the the constant thing we would have heard over the years about just like, oh, but your timing was perfect. And I think that every idea that's successful, the timing is always perfect. And and sometimes that's engineered to be the timing's perfect for this, or sometimes it just you happen to hit it at the right at the right time. Uh, you know, you you there's no formula. I think sometimes you just got to get out there and get it. You got to be informed enough and have enough knowledge that you're answering a bunch of your own questions. You need to know that there's obstacles out there and some barriers. Uh, some things are going to stop you in your tracks and th some things you're going to be able to navigate. But if you truly want to bring your idea to life and there's a community out there that believes in your idea, then then it can be wildly successful. We, we are, are not the smartest humans in the room, uh, in any room we go to ever. Uh, it's just that we worked hard, we believed in an idea, we thought that uh, 
We thought that there was a problem to solve. Uh, the bags were boring in general. We we didn't we couldn't find what we were looking for. And sometimes the cases nobody's looking for what we were bringing. And other times it it's there's just it just hasn't been presented before. And uh, I think that uh, it's a wonderful experience. But you might fail. I guarantee you will learn something amongst your sorry Jamie's choppers just chopping <laughs> you can hear that he's just, he's just jetting back to deep cove after you're done uh, I'm flying it don't worry <laughs> uh, yeah and, and you know sometimes you're going to win sometimes you're going to lose but you're always going to learn something and I think that um, you know we, we took um, an approach that we didn't bet everything on it and again we worked at our day jobs and that's not necessarily the right thing to do. Like, you know, in hindsight, maybe we should have quit sooner and, and been after it even harder earlier on. Uh, but it worked It worked out uh, to, to that we're sitting here. So it's pretty good. And I think it's going to continue to work out when we fast forward 10 years and look back again and figure out what are the next awesome things and the new ideas and all the people we get to engage with for the next uh, next decade. That's a, that's a perfect segue into my next question. It was, it was something that I was pondering this morning, and it was – in and around relevancy. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how does a company that is smart and intentional and compassionate toward its consumers stay relevant when people's um, tastes are changing, when the market is changing, when the next generation doesn't want the same things as the generation after it or before it. Um, yeah, how does, how does a company stay relevant? I mean, I think you just gotta stay relevant <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you just gotta stay relevant. I mean, you gotta stick your your finger on the pulse, and if you're losing your touch, you better find some people who work with that don't. And you gotta adapt and change and be open to constantly evolving your ideas and trying new things and failing and learning from your failures and figuring out how you turn those wins into lo losses into wins. And it's just you, if you if you're not evolving, you're dead. And if you're not changing your your processes your the way you did things yesterday it just it's just not this isn't cookie cutter this is a this isn't business as an organism it just constantly needs feeding and and uh yeah i mean if you're not you're not evolving it's you're just you're gonna become you're not gonna be relevant i don't not to the same thing i might i would say refinement consistency i mean we're a classic brand with modern twist and when we say that, I, I, I love classic brands. And I know there's gonna be brands around that I love today that are gonna be around for the next generation. And and I, I really hope that we're setting Herschel up to be one of those brands. And that takes refinement. That takes out of the box thinking. That constantly takes, you know, just you have to be progressive and changing. And it's, it's a drive-through world out there. No one's talking about the shoes that dropped yesterday. They're talking about the five that drop today. You know, it's the world is moving so fast and the amount of information and how we're getting that information is changing. And so, you know, it's every new platform and getting there, but being consistent with your story and your message on how you want to do it, but in an innovative, progressive, you know, way. And, and you know, through the product lens, it's the same thing. You constantly have to stay in your lane, know who you are, but then push your boundaries as much as you can. So um, that's the fun part, though. I think that's why everyone one comes to work every day because I mean there's rules around Herschel in a sense but I don't like the word rules I use the word standards but other than that let's go break them because that's the only way you're going to stay relevant is if you break your own rules mm. 
I'd love to loop back to the question that I put a pin on, and this was around curation. And I know a couple of weeks ago when the three of us were chatting, we were talking about, um, yeah, the the art of curation and whether it's something that it's is innate or is something that can be learned. Whether you're curating something in your life, whether you're curating a, a, a good brand, uh, do you think it is innate or do you think it can be learned? I mean, I think if you practice anything enough that you generally are going to get better at it. Uh, so if you're surrounding yourself around companies, individuals uh, who are good at doing almost anything, I think you're going to naturally get better at it. I, I think that, uh, you know, one of our, I would say Jamie's and my skills are we're, we're fairly good curators. You know, we, we can take a whole bunch of I don't know if they're even abstract ideas, but a whole bunch of ideas and figure out a way to, for them to har harmonize together in a way that feels not fake or put together. And uh, I don't know where that skill comes from, just about doing stuff, whether it's, again, making a mixtape back in the day or, or uh, you know, how you, what you decide to wear or, or uh, how you decorate a home or how you merchandise a brand. I think that... There's all those things that I guess you're you're con we're constantly doing it. So I don't I don't think I answered that question one little bit. So I'm, I'm gonna pass <laughs> I'm gonna pass it at this point in time to my older brother. There you go. I think either way, I would think more it's taught. I think it's around your your friend group, the culture, the people you're putting self around, and if you're actually putting effort in, you're only gonna get in what you put. You're only gonna get out what you put in, and that goes back to earning it. If you want to learn something, you have to put as much effort in as someone's gonna give you and you're gonna take out. And I just think it's a two-way street. And if you wanna learn something from whatever whatever that task is or the skill is or the culture is or whatever you wanna do, I think you gotta just embed yourself in it. I go back to that thing, you can't just turn the radio on and understand that certain type of music. I think you gotta jump into it, sorry, and go and, uh, you know? No, not much one. But I think it's like, uh, I just think embed yourself in it and earn it. And uh, I think you can learn, and you can be taught. Um, but so. and your mind, and you know the cool, you know, like there. I, I get my mind blown every day by someone doing something awesome, like whether it's just something you discover online or something that someone forwards to you or something you witness in real life. It's, I think that having that openness, openness to just have your mind blown and like I want I like engage I want I crave it you know to just see people who are doing better things than I could have done you know a nicer house or a different product or something I think that that constant craving of of that you can always be better do better or curate better maybe uh, I think yeah. it's it's constantly there I feel like it goes back to what you guys were saying about curiosity and just staying staying curious and mm -hmm. having all of these these things that uh, inspire you and, and drive you forward um, I have a question in and around creativity, and I know I've I've been seeing recently that you guys have been doing things to support creatives, and I'd love to hear more about about this and why it's important to you. Creatives I mean, and emerging yeah, artists. Yeah, I say. no, for sure. I mean, it's one of the biggest things. Our entire at Herschel, we're going to try to truly give back to creative education in, in every single form. I think that our society actually educates people out of being creative rather than promoting, you know, I think creative thinking. And I also don't think we do a great job on actually showcasing that you can have a career in a creative form outside of maybe like interior design or architecture or, you know, um, you know, 
maybe graphic design these days, but I just don't think society's there. If you go and tell, you know, your parents you want to go to school to, you know, make, uh, like, be a painter, maybe it makes sense. But if you're going to tell them you're going to go design footwear or backpacks or apparel, I don't know if they actually think that you're going to make money. And I think our goal is to help people understand that you can truly have a great living and, and find that path. And, and also, I just think support... Um, Every single creative one out there, if that's a camera, if that's in school, if that's opening a gateway and allowing be people to be creative. Because when I was young, um, I probably didn't know it was okay to be creative. You know, I think it was probably, we're not, Lennon said the smartest, and I would agree, we're not the most talented, we're generalists, but we're gen generalists that know how to edit. We're generalists that know how to understand line architecture and understand how to plan that and can see something coming and what we want to bring to market. We might not know exactly how to do it. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I love supporting creative education so that people can actually find that path and find it early in life because, you know, I think everybody's set up for different success in life and mine was not with numbers. Mine was not with memorizing things and I found like I had more creative side, but, you know, no one, it seemed like art class was like, oh, art's just art. You know, I, I want to go those layers deeper to really support people that it's okay to be creative. And I think design matters. Every single item we touch in the world was designed. And I think there's a lot of bad design shit out there. And we got to clean that up. And it's my goal today. Like, when I get out of bed, all I want to do is make other brands jealous. Like, that's what I want to do every day. And if I can do that, then I win. And um, that's what I want the youth to do. What's inspiring you right now in terms of design out there? Like right maybe, now, yeah. company, yeah. design-wise? Well, I'm yeah, building maybe. a home, you guys, and I, I'll tell you, it is the, it's the most fun I've ever had, and it's way too long. It's been three and a half years. So <laughs> laugh away. <laughs> but um, I'm so addicted to home things right now. My wife and I were going through it all. It's amazing. We have amazing architects. But if I had to talk on company-wise, um, it's just people that are just finding new space. I mean, you look at things like Airbnb, you look at Uber, you look at Lyft, the way they've changed to the youth can travel, travel and live local. They don't have to plan in a hotel. They can live in a community and be part of it. I like companies like Dyson that just rethought everything. Um, you know, I, 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 yeah, I guess I'll stop there. But, I mean, those, there's so many companies out there doing amazing things right now. I mean. Um, yeah, how about you, Lyndon? Anything any brands that are cultivating really good things in the world? Oh, there's so many brands. I just I want to rewind though for one second because <laughs> I put a pin in something. Um, but the I, I think we I think it comes. I hope it's coming through very very clearly how much we love the arts, the creativity, and all of the individuals and companies that encompass that. And I think that it's really important for us to, as a company, have those creatives out there trust that Herschel is a brand and all the people that work at the brand and all of the people who wear that white woven label have this spirit of we support the creatives. And, and as Jamie mentioned, uh, I actually happen to be really great at math and really great at other things. And, and Jamie was terrible at, at, at math. <laughs> and I was terrible at art. And I wanted so much to be good at art and bad at math because I didn't have it. I had this, like, this terrible... I can't, I still, everybody, everybody knows me really well who sits at my desk goes, I've said I'm a terrible drawer a thousand times and it's because it's true. Um, and, you know, and so you, you, uh, I think that there's, there's a, a change that needs to be done as Jamie was mentioning about just 
there's there's a reprioritization of of how people are. I don't know if graded's the right term. How how edu the education system values uh, the creative workforce, and I, I think it's something that we're really passionate about, and we need to we need to empower. Uh, Students, we need to power people who might not have all the success that Herschel Supply has, and if that's giving a new creative a opportunity that we, with all of our success, can hand over equipment to someone to for for them to turn that side hustle into their main hustle, get someone who's an unbelievable uh, ceramic artist, get them a kiln that they just couldn't afford, and if we can have some small little piece uh, to to help these people do awesome things, then, then we all win together. And I think that's really important. Um, there's, I mean, Jamie mentioned, Jamie and I are organic. We mentioned we're not, I mentioned that we're not twins and we're not, but I mean, people who are innovating spaces are always inspiring. Um, of course, there's there's classic brands that, that we love, whether it's like Volkswagen or Porsche or, you know, I, I, I love brands as, as as classic as like Ray-Ban and the Ray-Ban Wayfair, because how, how timeless is that? You can, I love Vans and I love Converse because they're, you can go to, the, you can wear a pair of Chuck Taylors or a pair of old schools or skate highs or whatever Vans you're liking these days. And you can go to the best restaurant in New York and feel like you just fit in. And it doesn't, it's not about the person who's wearing Balenciaga to the right or Hermes to the, to the left. It's, uh, it's about just having these awesome, classic ubiquitous items that just make everybody feel a, a you know, part of wherever they want to be. And, and, and Herschel is not luxury on purpose. Uh, we want people to be able to buy our brand, afford our brand, use our brand, take it on journeys, let those journeys create a meaningful story. And, but we're, we're not, we know how to make luxury stuff. We know how to, we know how to make that stuff. And it's just, we want, we want to be, we want to be a brand that, uh, that uh, yeah, just feels that has that ubiquitous nature, and uh, you can bring it everywhere and feel really good about about uh, why you're carrying it. And actually, I have a question for you, particularly in and around design. I was doing my research, and I came across an article that mentioned one of your your favorite Dieter Rams quotes. I'll read it so I don't I don't butcher it here, but question everything generally thought to be obvious. What is something right now that you feel is generally obvious that should be questioned? Well, a, a lot maybe a lot of that is not maybe it's my kids just went back to school and so school's t kind of top of mind right now and um, I think that you know I, I think that uh, you know questioning the way people are learning right now is interesting. I mean, for for example, um, I have two daughters, both teenagers, and one of them has really great cursive writing and the other one is ho horrific writing, and I'm like, why does it matter that you learn how to handwrite? As an example, like why are you wasting my children's time teaching them how to handwrite? Why don't you teach them about programming and coding and and digital marketing and like relevant stuff for today? And so uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of those questioning. Where and, and again, learning and building and, and learning the process of learning, I think, is really important. Uh, so there's building blocks that need to be put in there. But I, I sort of question why aren't we even engaging on a macro level more? Uh, you know, everybody everybody learns from their device that they have in their hand or a computer or whatever they're using. And so why aren't we empowering more of that in, in order to, like, set people up for real success based upon the modern tools that they have? And uh, and going on about uh, 
my daughters, um, who again are teenagers, but early on in the early on when uh, my oldest daughter Isla, um, I don't know, maybe she was three or four. We we nicknamed her uh, instead of Isla, we nicknamed her Wyla, because she was always like, you'd say something like, oh yeah, we gotta do this, but oh, but why? Well, because of this and this and oh, but but why? And I think that having that again curiosity, having that like aspect of like just questioning why all the time. And uh, guys like James Dyson has obviously been doing this. He's like, well, why we can I can build a better wheelbarrow, which is how he started before Dyson creating a ball wheelbarrow, which is a pretty fantastic story if you read it. And but just how do you make things better? And uh, it's just constant improvement and questioning status quo all of the time. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your daughters, and I know Jamie. I, I got to meet your little ones too a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm curious, what do you, what do you teach them about? And I know your your children are quite quite young, but what what do you teach them about? The, the world is is a tough place right now, and how do you teach them about how to navigate life and difficult things, and how they find their path in the future? Well, my kids, everyone knows, are five and three, <laughs> and so a lot younger. First day of kindergarten and preschool for the three-year-old next week, so it's a little different. But um, we, sh I mean, they listen to the news. They know what COVID is, what it is, how it's going. They know what's going on, so we don't hide them from anything or shelter them. We just explain through, so I think that's good, and the five-year-old don't understand. But I think, what do I teach? I guess to answer the question... Before they go to bed every night, I tell them to dream big. And I don't say it just because I don't mean it. I mean it. And I think you have to dream big. It's what I've done my whole life. I've tried to push myself in new ways, think differently, and just continue to dream. And I ask them every night, you know. And, uh, I mean, I say that. I ask them two questions. I ask them what they learned and what their favorite part of the day was. And that's where we walk through and try to understand them more and more and more as humans. So, I'll, uh, yeah, I think I'm still getting to know them. And five's a breakthrough, I'll tell you. It's been amazing the whole time, but five's one of those ages where um, we went on our first family bike ride in Whistler last weekend. So, or, but I guess not last weekend, last month. So, I mean, there's way more fun things coming as a family, so it's pretty cool. Um, but I'm just getting to know them more and more. But I think dream big is the biggest thing because I think that's what our parents taught us is you know, there's, if you say your mind and you work hard and you put that focus and, and effort in, you're going to get there. So, They're very cute, by the way. Mm -hmm. They are very cute. <laughs> oh, they're so, so cute. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think that the the world is crazy, and in in bad ways and good ways. And there's so much going on, and there's so much coming coming uh, at people. And uh, my kids, again, 15 and 16 teenage daughters. So you know, they're wonderful. By the way, if anybody's wondering if what a shit show it might be, but it's not. And. And it's uh, and they're amazing humans and they're awesome to be around and they uh, they're different but uh, but similar and and they share passions that I have in some sports and snowboarding and surfing and art and design they love all those sort of things but the the um, I mean the the world is in a I I think uh, the the world's in a in in a position that they're quick to cancel and quick to react and quick to to um, pose blame or, or cut people completely off for, for mistakes. And uh, and I think that, I don't know if I totally agree with that and from a macro point of view of, of, I think that people, including me, are allowed to make mistakes. And I think that uh, my daughters will call me out on making mistakes. And 
Of course, it goes vice versa when I don't think they're being appropriate or something could be better, then we have those conversations. But I think it's a, a dialogue, much like Jamie said earlier that, you know, we're, we're you know, best friends before brothers. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, I'm a dad uh, and not a best friend, but I think that if you treat them open and honestly, they're not ever afraid to bring up an issue, you know, it's, it's open. And, uh, and again, they teach, they probably teach me, us, uh, more about things than, than maybe I teach them in this point in time and, and just knowing what the younger generation thinks and feels and, and uh, cares about and things that are no-go zones and things that are like, you know, you can maybe push, push the boundaries. But I think that um, allowing, uh, allowing a healthy relationship to learn off each other is really, really important. And I think that there's a platform there uh, to make sure that they feel comfortable a, bringing things up that might, you know, be contentious potentially and uh, just having that open dialogue. So, and I think vice versa, it's very important. Yeah, that openness for sure. If you two are going to reflect back on the last 12, 13 years of your life, what comes to mind right now? <laughs> it's a lot, there's a lot of happened in the last 12, 13 years. As far as the brand side, I think probably I never went to post-secondary school and so probably got a master's in manufacturing. It's probably where we were the greenest starting a brand. We, we could envision the product. We wanted to sit on the shelf. We knew kind of what retailers we wanted to sit at. We knew how we wanted to show up in our marketing and our asset creation. Um, but to actually go out, get it built, get it shipped, get it there on time, figure out all those you know, the rigor behind it, the manufacturing, the supply chain side of it. We were really green. And um, we, you know, I would say that if, if someone asked me to start Herschel today and told me everything I was going to have to do, would I say yes? And I'd probably say yes, but I would think about it for a minute because I think when you're there, we talk so much about the label and the logo and the color and our first season. And there's so much excitement and so much passion to get it to market. But to actually go and get it built and continue. And once you do one season, you got to come with a second and then you got to come with a third. And then all of a sudden you're yeah, 13 years later. And there's a lot of complexities within there. And on the manufacturing front, it's just a very interesting business. So I think learning that and to me, it's, uh, it's been the biggest eye opener for me. And then just how can we be better than the next company and leave it better than we started um, and really change it for you know, what I almost consider our employees and part of it, although they don't work for us, but we just have to leave it in a better place. And that's that's our biggest, for me, that would probably be what I've learned, so. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I don't plan on ever writing a book, but you never know, weirder things have happened. But I think that if I ever did, it, the title would be, Wouldn't It Be Cool? And, because uh, I start, we start, I start, so many conversations with, wouldn't it be cool if you could do this? Or wouldn't it be cool if you could do that? And I think that when given the opportunity to reflect on the 13 years, which seems like so long ago, um, I think the photo that we used on the uh, pamphlet was from 13 years ago. So good on us for looking. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Thanks for picking that photo, Linda. Thanks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think, I think that um, when, when you're starting a sentence with wouldn't it be cool it's the start of an idea and uh, there was a a Harvard Business Review study that came out that said 50 five zero percent of your day is spent daydreaming and I I've, was always going like only 50 percent I mean I'm more like 75 80 percent and I I think that when when you're 
when you are thinking about ideas and you're thinking about, you know, potential what you're doing on the weekend or potential a holiday, but potentially a new thing that wouldn't it be cool if this existed? I, I, uh, I would, I would tell myself, I would tell my kids and I would tell all of you that if you keep on coming back to that, wouldn't it be cool? And it keeps on being a similar idea. It, it might be something that you should try to tackle and, uh, and bring to life because there's nothing more rewarding than being able to, obviously it's hard to reflect on all this. Life's, Herschel's life has been crazy and it's been awesome, but it's been crazy. And, uh, you know, but it started with, wouldn't it be cool? And uh, look what it can bring. And it, maybe the next idea will be a hell of a lot bigger and have a lot more successful, or maybe it'll just be the perfect size that someone's just really proud of and, and, and uh, loves what they do, so. I love that. Wouldn't it be cool? So I have three more questions. Uh, my question right now is to all the people who are in your, on your Herschel team, you know, the ones that were there at the start, you know, in the, in the middle, the ones that are with you now, if they're still here, if they've moved on, other than obviously you're grateful and appreciative for them, what would you like to say to them right now? All of them. Well, you, she took away the obvious. We're not allowed to just say thank you to them. Well, I know, but I mean, it's I the mean, biggest thing because the weird, the especially, I mean, when you start a brand and someone comes in, it becomes family right off the bat. And um, especially when you're this invested in something. And so it is a thank you, but it's more than that because I know you spend so many hours in the office at work. There's, you know, and work doesn't shut off when you're walking home. You're still thinking about it when you're going to bed, when you get up. You're not all the time, but people are definitely thinking about new ideas and those, you know, certain things that's on their mind. So um, Herschel wouldn't be what it is without every single individual went there. And, you know, there's certain roles that um, probably people didn't even apply for and ended up in that seat, especially in the early days, you know. Started out in marketing, ended up in supply chain and customer service, you know. It's it's just there's so many roles when you wear so many hats, and um, it's been such a fun ride to get, to get to travel the globe with so many amazing people on the sales front, on the manufacturing front, on the design front. I mean, it's just, uh, it's been such an unbelievable ride, and I mean, every single person that's worked at Herschel, I still consider a dear friend, and it's just been, it's been amazing. So it's friendships for life. So, I mean, and I think they know how thankful we are. And so, uh, yeah, I've learned a ton from them, and I hope they've learned something from us. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's been a, it's like a storybook, and it's been, uh, we've created a brand, but the fun part about having a brand is all the stories that you create from that. And, and they've created this epic, uh, this epic story and this adventure because it has been an adventure. This is not easy stuff we do, they do, what we've all done together. It is not easy doing doing this, but it's really, really rewarding and it's worth it. And uh, and so they, they're a fabric of this incredible story that that uh, has been created and it's going to live on. And, and things that they touched and worked on and did is just bigger than the work that they were doing that day or that year or, or they still continue to do. and. Uh, and I mean, it goes without saying that we couldn't have done it without them. We couldn't be doing it without them right now. And and um, I guess I'm not allowed to say thank you, but <laughs> it's uh, but it's uh, it's hard not to because it's it just wouldn't be what it is 
if we didn't have all these people motivating us and supporting us and pushing us and challenging us and to continually do better, be better. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, again, it's, it's not Jamie. We, we get a, a lot of kudos for a lot of the things we've done because we said, wouldn't it be cool? But we, we don't deserve the amount of kudos we get. We just, we're just here as stewards for, for making sure we're going to the place in the future that we want to get to. And Jamie, if there's one thing that you can say to Lyndon right now about what he means to you. Oh God, this is deep. <laughs> Should we just hug it out? <laughs> what would you say? I would probably say, and this is a true story, is probably F you. <laughs> I was traveling last week and we I show up to customs and I'm about to go through pre-check. There was no drugs in their bags. <laughs> basically drugs. I'd pull out a nice right in oh. front of everybody. Oh, they like that one. That one is like, we have a rule. Legal is given a strict rules and policies. We're not allowed to ice anybody in the policies. Like, I'm in front of everybody holding this ice and a warm one. So, anyway. yeah, That's tough. I, so, yeah, you know. got, he got iced at the security lineup by himself. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, one had a bottle opener, thank yeah. gosh. Yeah. Is there any smearing off? I know. Uh, I, I mean, I can um, answer seriously, honestly. Uh, if I had to say some, I'll, I'll I'll do this quick, and it's not a hug, but I do think um, two things about starting a family business: it's an absolute pain in the ass, and it's also the best thing you can possibly do for two reasons. When you're working with people in business, sometimes you have to kind of bite your tongue or you know hold your words back. When you're working in business with your brother and a close friend, you can call it the way you see it. You call a spade a spade. And it's allowed this business to move fast. It's allowed us to be real. It's allowed us to be pissed off at each other, but that ends in five minutes. Um, and it allowed this brand to truly become what it is, I think, faster than it would have if it would have been you know, two friends starting it. Because I don't think you have that same connection that, um, you know, it, it it's real and it's authentic. And, you know, we, we have the same taste level, but there's different paths to the same destination. And sometimes it's hard to see in that moment that you can get there. And so you got to pull back. But, yeah, I think thanks for that. Because it, it takes a lot of learning and a lot of patience to deal with a family-owned and operated business. Um, it's been a hell of a lot of fun, a lot of work, a lot of long days. Um, but more than anything, it just it also gives you confidence. Like to sit up here, I mean, and talk. It's just it's it makes it easy, if that makes sense, for the last you know 13 years of starting a business. Because you always feel like you have somebody as your backup there, you know. Yeah, um, it's just easier to hug it out, mate. But no, the uh, <laughs> nah. I ask the, the tough questions. The uh, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think our our mom uh, was so paranoid. Uh, about us getting into business together and for all the right reasons to be paranoid that you know what was the family dynamic going to be like what how are we going to interact you know there's big you know the, as the business certainly got bigger the decisions become bigger as well and and um, I actually think we we've grown closer uh, and of course we spent a lot of time together but we've grown closer as friends not just as business partners and uh you know, people with responsibility for, you know, a whole bunch of, of amazing ideas and amazing humans we, we work with. But I, I think that, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I, I'm a, I can be a pain in the ass, um, and I know that, and I can be annoying, and I know that. 
uh, right? But I can also be compassionate and loving and caring, and, and he knows that. And uh, I think that uh, I think that you just have to embody that spirit, you know, and and uh, make sure you care about each other, take care of each, take care of each other, and and you end up in a good place and making your mom proud. So that's mm-hmm. always important too. And dad, of course, uh, he was a, he was scared too. I'm sure, but <laughs> my mom vocal, vocally was scared of him. Yeah. So. And my final question, and this is the the question I ask every guest on my pod: With what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? I just was going on about how much I loved you, so you've got to go. Man, <laughs> on a business side, or Anything. in life, honestly, um, pivot. At, well, I'll, I'll keep it with both. Um, I think leave behind. Um, sorry, everyone. Here it is. I think it would be that it was genuine. It was honest. I was supportive to family, to friends, to coworkers, um, and uh, by supportive, I just mean, uh, yeah, I'll. Uh, I'll, I'll take the garbage out as much as anybody, and I'll do the hard work, and I'll support you through everything. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, that's for everybody. That's family, friends, and coworkers. I mean, they're, they're, those are friends and family. So it's all kind of rustled into one. But uh, I think I'm going to support and be genuine. I'm, you're always going to get honesty from me. Um, I call, yeah, I'll call it the way it is. So, I'll, yeah, hopefully they see it that way. Yeah, I... Uh I'm passionate about a lot of things and I hope my passion is contagious and uh, about new ideas, about different ways of thinking. And sometimes I get probably too out of, you know, in and out of my own way occasionally, but I just want to leave everything better. Uh, I want to change things through design and through creativity and, and remove boundaries. And I think that if, if, People will witness that who get to interact with me and know that I'm just embrace embrace change and because uh, it's we have to because uh, the world is going to change around us. So um, I think that if I uh, if people were reflecting on things that uh, I do well, I think that they talk about my passionate spirit and my my uh, maybe my love for change because I I actually my favorite definition in the world is the the definition of the word future. And it's quite simply everything that is yet to come. And it's just poetic and beautiful. And I'm so excited for everything that's yet to come. And I uh, just can't wait to get there, you know, and, and witness all the amazing things that are next. Well, on that note, thank you, Jamie and Lyndon. Thank you for being so open. Thank you to everyone for coming out tonight. I hope you enjoyed that. And here's to more conversations in the future. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. And everyone, yeah, uh, do we have time for questions? I guess we can take this. We don't have any handlers here, I guess, today. So I'm like, we're Maybe just stand up and (laughs) and ask. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I almost felt like failing in your guys' last question. Like, I was hearing you guys so well. And, like, what came for me uh, was, like, liberation. You guys are such an example. Because a lot of people are still stuck in like whatever trauma or I can't or no belief 
Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. It means a lot. I had to say it. Appreciate it. Thank you. It means a lot. I think I saw another hand, but it went down pretty quick. Yeah. Oh, yes. Hi. I was just going to ask what kind of cars you guys drive. You said you like. <laughs> 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 we, I, I don't know. This could sound. Uh, this is the one thing that we're. we're we're not as pretentious, but this might come across really pretentious. <laughs> I at there at um, the we have a we have a family cabin uh, that's in Invermere, British Columbia, and it's um, it's a, a place that we've had our entire lives. It's an A-frame cottage uh, that we that we go to as a family and cram into rooms with bunk beds and and all this. And we it's a it's a ritual we all get there and. Maybe uh, seven years ago, um, I was sitting in Las Vegas, Nevada at a lobby bar. It was actually Valentine's Day, and I know this because Hillary Clinton walked by me, and I was like, oh, my God, I've had, like, Valentine's Day with Hillary Clinton. That's not, a, that's, that's not, that's not the, the important part of the story. But I ended up buying this 1969 Volkswagen Beetle. Um, from from this site and and uh, we we used it in some Herschel photo shoots and then we ended up moving it to our our cabin in uh, in Invermere and it's when when I get to the cabin it is like my favorite thing ever that we get to drive in this old little awesome perfectly classic Volkswagen Beetle and uh, so I drive a little bit different of a car here in Vancouver but uh, I find that that moment at the cabin at that point in time way more special than any other car I have. I drive a classic, but it's modern touch. I drive a 72 Bronco, but it's been rebuilt by Icon. If anyone knows that, it is the favorite piece and toy I could ever have. It makes driving fun. And it's way faster than the Volkswagen Beetle from 1969. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe one more question. Uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe I'll take one from, from this side, actually. Yeah, back there in the blue shirt. Yeah, that guy. Well, we had uh, so we had some, so yeah we had some people who worked with us um, worked with me at Vans who were more, probably a little more generalists uh, who are just really good at a whole bunch of of, of things uh, and and allowed Jamie and I maybe the the freedom to go and and do more of the stuff where they sort of helped uh, the organization from the back end. I mean, this is we're talking about like four. Oh people. yeah, we're talking early days. And then I had an individual that sewed um, and helped me go, and we studied. A, a lot of things, but he sewed early prototypes. So I could kind of bring the idea to life to even show everybody what we were thinking about. And then um, the big one was manufacturing on that side. Was we actually found a factory owner at first, but then went to an agent, which was which was a big thing, but hard to source. So I think I mean that's really it. And then kind of just goes from there. So I, I think it's those generalists. We talked about that. I think that's what we are. As Lyndon said, we're not. You know, great at anything. We're good at a lot, and you can wear a lot of different hats as long as you let the experts and specialists do that, and just be a generalist but support them. So, 
um, but without without those individuals, and it kind of came from the, they were cut from the same cloth. They they came from that industry, so they were willing to put the work in and the hours in and do the travel. And they, I mean, it was it was an exciting time. Yeah, so. they they were they were just get shit done kind of people, and uh, and we found a lot of those people. I mean, early on, uh, you know, we had a, we had so many awesome individuals. I don't want to call out anybody in particular about the Sung Lees, the Adam Riddells, the Mikey Scotts. The I mean, there's there's some there's some uh, there's some awesome people. We uh, we were there as an old friend of mine and and who got to know Jamie. Uh, I guess I've probably known this individual for twenty oh god I'm dating myself twenty five years. But um, we also uh, have been working with the same photographer since day one, uh, named Stephen Wild, and uh, we were always in such so inspired by his work and the fact that uh, he has shot every single one of our campaigns since day one is uh, is also just people who just brought stories to life and he, he is. Uh, I think the the best person in the world as a collaborator that we could ever work with from that end of things. So, and that was key, I think, to just bring in a photographer that you trust, and we'll actually let Linda and I stand behind him and talk. So it's still, he's here tonight. I don't know if he's yeah. here. He is. He he is yeah. I see him hiding He probably creeped out the back yeah. door because <laughs> he doesn't want to be too late. But uh, but he's he's an incredible human. Any more questions? We'll allow one more. I'm going. I'm overriding May here. Anybody <laughs> else? One more question. Anybody? Anybody? We got two. We got two at the same time. I got striped shirt over here, and why don't we start here? Sure. I'm just so curious how you stay in that elevated state because as an entrepreneur, it's such a mind game. And when imposter syndrome or other thoughts come in, like how do you run your personal practices? Like do you cold plunge or do you do breath work or how do you stay up? Is drinking wine at night uh, <laughs> part of that? I would say no. Okay. I. Yeah, I think it's just you're. I don't. I don't. There's. I have no rituals. Um, as, as much as I love to go jump in the ocean and I love to go for a surf and I love to go for a run and I love to do those, which probably all make up the time that I need to to breathe and be open and refresh. And uh, there's not one thing other than just I'm just. I think that it's it's natural to be passionate about this, and I I think that if it if we weren't passionate about it, I wouldn't be. We, I would, I would answer for you there. We wouldn't be doing it. If there wasn't that passion about creation of doing it, we would just do something else uh, and find something passionate because we don't want to be bored. Yeah. And I think so. And now also, but we're both such creatures of habit. I mean, it's terrible to say we might not have a morning ritual, but we holiday at the same place. We surf the same waves. We go catboarding the same place. We heliboard here. We do the same runs. You know, it's it's these things where the holidays, you just know where you're going to end up. And it's, I, I think I find almost like peace in that, that I know where I'm going to be. I already can tell you where I'm going to spend Christmas and, you know, for the next for the rest of my life, you know, I just, I know I'll be in Whistler and that's just, it's easy to say. And so I, I think I find peace in that too, that I just, there's, I kind of plan it out by season rather than by day, if that makes sense. And there was one more. This is officially the last question. And we're going to really? be mingling after. So if you do have a question, you didn't want to stand up in front of the whole group and ask, feel free to grab us. We're, we're very approachable humans. So.
Well, if you, I, I, I'm not allowed to bring up that I want to open a Herschel Hotel because it creates all those experiences, one from the gift shop to check in to the hostel style rooms to the to the boutique hotel experience. So I think we're going to take a big stance and start opening hotels. But in reality, I'll pass it to Jamie, who manages uh, design more than I do. But that, that would be a big passion for me to be able to do that one day. But not the exact question you're asking. <laughs> no, I mean, out of the box thinking, so maybe someday for sure. I think focus is key, especially right now in this, where we're at. Uh, you're coming out of COVID. You have to be great at something and be great in knowing at something before you can do anything else. And we're known as a backpack brand. You know, at 60, well, I guess probably 50, 55% of our business today, it's where we started. It's where our roots really come from. And we need to stay um, in that lane. But as we had new extensions on, um, what, what are you going to find? I think we're going to grow current extensions we already have in. I think there's some underserved markets within categories we already are there on and we need to expand. Um, but there's lots more. And lots more we're talking about. There's a lot of newness coming. So I think it's just uh, sitting down and looking to, to better it. I mean, the, the biggest thing that I think is just the innovation in leaving the planet, the planet a better place. And I think as we go forward, we have to be the most impact positive brand that we can be. And we're really working hard to fast track that. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for us to do. Rather than new categories, really refine every category we're already in to be better for the planet that we live in. So, yeah. Okay, everyone. Thank you for being here. And yeah, Mingo, yeah. have a drink, be merry. Thanks, Thanks man. man. Thank you. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jay Bagaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.